morning. Well, it's good to be back with you once again, and I'm excited this morning to open up God's Word and continue our series on ecclesiology. Not a very cool word. Anybody remember what that means? The doctrine of the church. Okay, that was like, that was a solid C minus, y'all. Okay, uh, the doctrine of the church. Some of you are like, I, I didn't know, so that's why I didn't say anything. So yeah, the doctrine of the church. So over the next several weeks, we are looking at some texts of scripture that are telling us kind of the nature of the church and what God says about his church. So today we're going to be looking at a fairly familiar passage from the book of Acts chapter 2. So let's pause and ask for the Lord's help before we dive in. The title of the message this morning is simply this, The Empowered Church. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. And as we've already sung, that your name is worthy. Lord, I pray that you would draw our attention to who you are and particularly to the work of your empowering spirit this morning. Lord, I pray that the name that is above every name would be exalted, that you would speak to your people from your word, challenge us, encourage us, change us, speak to us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. So I want to begin today with a, a little comparison. So draw your attention up to the screen if you would. And I have three very, very different movies up on the screen. The first one on the far right is, of course, Batman Begins. The second one is Monsters University. And the third one is The Godfather Part Two. What do all three of these movies have in common? I'm not gonna bore you by having you guess all the things, but the reality is they are all origin stories. But do you know what an origin story is? It's, it's a story that tells kind of the background of the protagonists of the particular story. And origin stories today are all the rage. Books and movies and all kinds of things are telling backstories upon backstories upon backstories. Well, why? Because in order to really understand who someone or what something is, you often need to understand the history of where that thing came from. That's true of you personally, right? Like in order to really understand who you are, you need to know a little bit of your backstory, your origins, as it were. Well, I bring this up this morning because in a very, very real way, Acts chapter 2 is the origin story of the local New Testament church. If you're to do a series on ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, you can't ignore this story in Acts chapter 2 where the church is born because we learn some profound things about the nature of the church by looking at what unfolded in Acts chapter 2. So that's what we're going to dive into this morning. Let me give you a little context. After Jesus died, and rose again and then ascended into heaven, he gave his disciples some marching orders in Acts chapter one, verse number eight. And it says this, but you will receive power, look at the screen, when the, what's it say? Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
So Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus made to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to take the gospel to the ends of the world. Acts chapter 2 begins on the day of Pentecost. This is a Jewish festival or holiday when all Israelites would return to Jerusalem to celebrate God's provision in their life. It's 10 days after Jesus ascended. The disciples are all gathered together, probably getting ready for the Feast of Pentecost. And then something astounding happens. Acts chapter 2, verse number 2. Suddenly... A sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the house from where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, and the Spirit enabled them. This is the empowerment that Jesus had promised. You will receive the Holy Spirit, and you will have power. But here's the thing. This promise of spirit empowerment was not something that Jesus alone predicted. The whole Bible kind of led up to this moment. You go all the way back to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse number 14 says this, God speaking, I will put my, what's it say? Spirit within you. Or as John the Baptist declared as he was baptizing Jesus, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am coming, I am not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so what is the result of the outpouring of the Spirit that Ezekiel and the prophets predicted, that John the Baptist predicted, that Jesus told his disciples were coming? What happened when the Spirit came upon them? Acts chapter 2, verse number 43. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held everything in common. What happened? Awesomeness. The Holy Spirit hit the church and the church began to grow and God's people began to witness to the testimony of the power of the gospel in unbelievable ways. To put it simply, the Holy Spirit provides extraordinary empowerment. The Holy Spirit provides extraordinary empowerment. That's certainly what we see in Acts chapter 2. Now listen, we do need to acknowledge that Acts chapter 2 is a unique moment in the history of church. The day of Pentecost is not something that we should necessarily expect to repeat every day. Nevertheless, when you read the testimony of Scripture... It seems to be very clear that this same Holy Spirit that was active on the day of Pentecost continues to be active in empowering his people today. Where do you get that, Ryan? At, or Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 16. Look at what it says. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his, what's it say? Spirit. Or... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. Here's the implication. Listen. The Spirit's work is not just a past memory. It's a present reality. 
We don't just like look back to Acts chapter 2 and say, man, that was awesome. No, that same Holy Spirit is active and at work in his people today. And we must long for and depend on him, which leads me to my point this morning. It's simply this, we must depend on the Spirit. You know why? Listen, because without God's Spirit, God's people are impotent. We can go through all the motions of church. We can do all the spiritual things. But if the Holy Spirit does not light the wood, as it were, then it's nothing. It's nothing. We must depend on the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you've been around Gospel Hope for a period of time, one of our identities, we call them, is we want to be dependent children. At least in part, what that means is we take a posture of this, God, we need you. God, we need you to work. We need you to change us. We need you desperately to do anything. We have no power to change another person's heart. We have no power to save a soul. We have no power to even to change our own hearts. God, unless your spirit comes, we are utterly powerless. God, we need you. If I could use an analogy, perhaps imagine the church as being a steam engine, a locomotive, as it were. The locomotive makes its way down the track, but in order for a steam engine to move, it needs fuel. That fuel is often coal or something like that. And there is a guy whose job is to shovel that coal into the steam engine. His name is, anybody know? It's the fireman or the stoker. In one sense, the Holy Spirit is both the fuel, the coal, and the stoker. That is his role. He is shoveling the Spirit's fuel into the church that makes it go down the track. The moment he stops shoveling, guess what happens? The church stops moving. The only way the church of God is to move down the tracks pursuing the mission that the Lord has given us is through the empowerment of the work of the Holy Spirit. So what is the church? If we're answering that question, the church is a group of people empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what we are. We are ultimately a people dependent on the work of the Spirit to be moving us along. We say, well, what happens when the Spirit is shoveling? What kind of church, what kind of thing is produced when He is putting fuel on the fire and making us go down the track? So glad you asked because I think that's what Acts 2 is all about. When you look at Acts chapter 2, you see some characteristics of a church that is empowered by the Spirit. And I want to highlight just three characteristics of a Spirit-empowered church this morning. The first one is this, multicultural unity. When the day of Pentecost arrived, people from all over the world came to celebrate. The text seems to take great planes to make this clear that this was a multi-ethnic movement of God. Acts chapter 2, verse number 5. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem. Look at what it says. Devout people from every, what's it say? Nation under heaven. Then Luke seems to be setting us up for what happens next. When the sound occurred, the great rushing wind, the crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. 
They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't these people who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? And Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Ela, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Christians and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongue. In one sense, the day of Pentecost is God's declaration that the gospel has gone public. It's no longer a private company, as it were. It is trading on the open stock market. The gospel is for everyone and everywhere who would dare to believe it. No longer were God's people primarily contained in one location from one culture. Now people from many different backgrounds were becoming part of God's family. Here's the principle. Unity, multicultural unity is possible because God's spirit is powerful. Diverse people can move together because the gospel always has been and always will be for everyone who would dare to believe it. This was evident even among those who proclaimed the message this day. You, you remember, it was the apostles that were declaring the message, these 12 people. And even among the apostles, there was a great deal of diversity in those proclaiming the message. Among the apostles, you had, you had blue collar and you had white collar. You had politically very progressive and you had politically very conservative. I mean, one was so conservative, he wanted to overthrow the government. You, you, you had people that were rich. You had people that were poor. You had people that were educated. You had people that were uneducated. And yet there they stood on that day proclaiming this message that united anyone and everyone, no matter their background, no matter their history, no matter their story, who would dare to believe in this message. Listen, multicultural unity is not ancillary to the message of the gospel. It is central. We must believe that this is not just trendy to be multicultural. It is part and parcel of what it means to proclaim the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, the gospel of Jesus has never been and never will be a niche message. It's not for a particular subset of people. It's not for rich people or poor people. It's not for Republicans or Democrats. It's not for white people or black people or brown people. It's not for any type of people that is in some sort of subset. You know who the gospel of Jesus Christ is for? It is for sinners who need a savior and that's all of us. When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, it must of necessity begin to produce multicultural unity if you live in a multicultural context. Why? Because the gospel don't skip people, y'all. If our churches begin not to reach our neighbors, that beautiful diversity, I'm talking about Atlanta, but if you're in a different place, it'll look different. But if our gospel becomes just for a subset of our neighbors, we need to ask the question, are we actually proclaiming the gospel or are we beginning to proclaim some sort of preference? The work of Jesus Christ is for sinners. And when the spirit hits that message and people begin to believe it, it produces this unbelievable unity. This fills me with hope. 
fills me with great hope. You know why? Don't you long to see this unique multi-ethnic body that we call gospel hope continue to grow and reach all kinds of diverse people? That's where you say amen right there. Amen, okay. Yeah, okay, all right. We have hope because the gospel is able to make diverse people family. These people in here that have varying degrees of melanin than you. These people in here that come from different generations of you. Listen, they are not like your brothers and sisters. If they've trusted in the work of Jesus Christ, they are your brothers and sisters. It gives me hope. It gives me hope because the gospel is able to make us one in ways that really profoundly count. The blood of Jesus is thicker than the blood of your mom and dad. It unites us in profound ways. Don't you long to reach our Spanish-speaking neighbors through Gospel Hope Espanol? Don't you long to see many more language congregation reaching the refugees and immigrants that have come right to our back door with the hope of Jesus Christ? Don't you long for that? Don't make me point, all right? Just like be ready, all right? We have hope. Because the Spirit is able to reach people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The Spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is for anyone and everyone. As the hostility towards Christian values increases from segments in our culture... Don't you long to see a new generation transformed by the power of the work of Jesus Christ? We have hope because the spirit is strong enough to bridge any cultural or political or economic or racial gap. The spirit is strong. Here's the reality. The church's diversity demonstrates the spirit's capacity. Let me say that again. The church's diversity demonstrates the Spirit's capacity. You know what I want to happen when people walk in here or they get around you? I want people to walk in and be like, what's going on here? Why are these people that have no business being around each other, around each other? And why do these people that have no business being around each other act like they love each other? What is going on here? And we can say, look, it is the power of the Spirit that has brought us together in profound and fundamental ways that we may display, as our vision statement says, the reconciling hope of the gospel. May Gospel Hope Church, our very existence, be a demonstration that the Holy Spirit is a bad man. That he can do what no political party, what no government institution, what no social organization can do. That he can make strangers and pull them up to the dinner table together and say, that's your family, y'all. Multicultural unity only comes because of the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Bless God for that mighty work. Number two, 
The Holy Spirit's work is not just multicultural, it also brings about miraculous transformation. First of all, we see this plain fact that everyone heard the message in their own language. I mean, let's not like ignore that. There's all these people here, they're all from all over the world. All of a sudden the apostles get up and are speaking and the text says they're Galileans, so they don't know a bunch of languages and people hear them in their own language. The Spirit is doing something astounding. But this is not the only miraculous display of the Spirit's power in the text. Look at what it says when the message was being preached. Verse number 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So Peter gets up and preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. They repent, they turn from their sins, and they put their hope in Jesus. This has to put him in condition for the best sermon ever. You just have to be on the list, right? Here's the straightforward implication. The Spirit is supernatural. That might seem like super obvious, but just pause and stop and think about that for a minute. We believe in a supernatural religion. That is, Christianity cannot be fully explained with science or logic or reasoning or rhetoric, philosophy. Christianity says at heart that the God of the universe who exists, that you can't see, sent his son into the world and some miraculous spiritual way through his death on the cross actually changes your eternal status. So that when you die, this part of you that you see, when this passes away, a part of you that you don't see is resurrected and spends eternity through with him. And that is all through this invisible supernatural spirit that works. Y'all, that's crazy. We believe in a supernatural religion. We believe there are forces at work that we cannot see. I'm not talking like do-do-do-do, Twilight Zone. We live in a supernatural world. The Spirit is not an apparition. He's not a force. He's not an influence. He's not an atmosphere. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity the eternal God of gods who has the power to utterly transform men and women's destiny. That's who he is. He has the power through the proclamation of the message of Christ to take dead people and make them alive, to take blind people and allow them to see to take deaf people and allow them to hear, to take sinful people and make them clean. The Holy Spirit is invisible, but that don't mean he is not alive and well. We need to embrace this reality that there is a Holy Spirit and he has pop. He can do things that are impossible. Titus chapter three, verse number five. He saved us. 
not by the works of regeneration, works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the... But we ought to thank God always for you, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through the sanctification by the... But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the... of our God. The Spirit of God can save people. In light of this, it is not unsurprising that after Jesus ascended into heaven, he's going up into heaven and he's like, hey y'all, one last thing to say. You're gonna be my witnesses throughout all the earth, but don't you dare move till the spirit comes. The mission that I'm calling you on is way above your pay grade. You do not have the ability to do what I am calling you to do. So my instructions to you, Jesus is going up to heaven and he's like, deuces, wait. He's gone. And then the book of Luke says this to us. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then Acts chapter two happens. And what happened to this ragtag group of ordinary followers of Jesus? In a few short years, the Bible says this, that they turned the world upside down why? Because they had the power of the Holy Spirit on them. They were living in dependence on him and God used their proclamation, their ordinary proclamation of the extraordinary message of Jesus. And they caused people's eternal destiny to change. Don't you long for that? This is convicting to me. You know, Pastor Rod and I have said to you folks many times, like we just, there is so much about Gospel Hope Church that we love, so much. We love the sweet people that God has given us, the wonderful diversity that we experience, the servants' hearts, the generous, so much of it that we love. But do you know what we long for? We long to see people just being radically changed by the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that it hasn't happened. We just want it to happen all the time. You know how we preserve unity in our church? Do you want to know? As we get more diverse, as things continue to change, you know how we get more unity together? We just stay on mission. Y'all won't have any problem with one another if we keep that tank full. You just won't have time for fighting. You'll just be too excited to fight. You won't care about the color of the carpet or what time your community group meets or whatever, stupid stuff. You'll just be like, man... I don't agree with everything these people do, but we are on mission with Jesus together. And we are seeing people come to know the Lord because the Holy Spirit is working through our ordinary gospel proclamation to see people pass from death to life. Don't you want that? Don't you long to see this place filled with people who have trusted in the work of Jesus because you somehow took a role in that? Not like, hey, good sermon or great band or whatever, but you... You said, coworker, come on. See, here's what we do sometimes. We say, hey, are you praying people that come to know the Lord? And you're like, yeah, I'm praying my aunt. She's over in Arizona. I'm just praying that she comes to know the Lord. Now, I'm not saying don't pray for your aunt, but sometimes we do that just because we're scared. Because you know you're only gonna see that aunt like once every five years at some awkward Thanksgiving dinner. And you can safely pray for her. 
But what about your neighbor? Or your coworker? Or the person that's, you know, across the hall or down the street in your dorm room? What about those folks? What about the server? What about the people that we regularly come in contact with? Don't you want them in here too? Man, here's a question that I ask myself on a regular basis. I'm just trying to be transparent here and it's so convicting to me. It's this. What if God in his mercy and grace answered every one of my prayers for people to come to know the Lord? How different would the world be? And my sad answer is this, not very. I mean, even if he answered every single one of them, it just wouldn't be that different. Man, may God give us not just a desire to see people saved or acknowledgement that it's right to see people saved, but a zeal, a burning passion that people would come to experience this transforming work of the Spirit. He's strong enough, y'all. He's strong enough. The lion will do its work, but here's the fact of the matter. You got to let the lion out of the cage. The only way people are going to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ is if they come in contact with that gospel. We must proclaim Jesus to see other people come to know him. Yeah, all right, you can go get her. <laughs> She's having a Pentecostal moment. It's fine, it's fine. Number three, so what does a spirit-empowered church look like? It looks like multicultural unity is being formed. Number two, it looks like uh, miraculous transformation are happening. And three, I would say missional momentum happens. Look at what happens after this message is preached. Acts 2, verse number 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In other words, very simply, the work of the Spirit caused the growth of the church. When the Spirit was active, the church was knit together. And what did this new fledgling movement of God's people do? They healed the sick. They served the poor. They gave generously. They showed radical hospitality. And Acts 2, verse number 47, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What's the implication? When God saves, he also sends. Look, sometimes we get this idea, like I've done my time or I've served in some capacity. But look, the Lord is like a tornado. He always sucks you in and then spits you back out. God didn't save us to set us on the bench. Hey, you just take it easy now. No, that's not the way it works. God saves us and then he sends us into his mission. We don't have a theology of like dunk them, then shoot them. You know what I mean? Like, well, you've trusted in Jesus now, put you under the water. Well, we're done with you, go on to heaven. No, it's like God saves us for a purpose. Ephesians chapter four, verse number 11 and following puts it this way. And he, speaking of Jesus, gave some, I'm not sure I got a right version coming up. 
There it is. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So God gives these gifts through the Spirit. What is the purpose of those gifts? Look at what it says in the next verse. To equip the saints. What's it say? For the work of the ministry. When God empowers, he does it for a purpose. Let me give you an illustration. If I were to give you a pen, it would be for writing. If I were to give you a book, it would be for, with me so far? If I were to give you a car, it would be for, I'm not giving you a car because I'm not Oprah, all right? That's not happening. This is church, not the Oprah show. The idea is simply this, like God gives us stuff for a reason. Skip over to Ephesians chapter two, very familiar passage of scripture. Says this, for you have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not for yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So we're really good at this part. We are saved, we are saved by what? Grace through, but you know what the next verse says? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There it is again, for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. In other words, we are saved by, through, for works. God saved you for something. He has a mission and a purpose for you to be on. Let me give you this illustration. It's kind of like Jesus is a master architect. And he rolls out the blueprints for his church. And he's like, here's, here's the end. This is what I need to happen. But in order for that to happen, I need to equip my people to be doing the work. I, I need to give them the tools that are necessary in order to do so. So it's like God kind of like in advance equips his people to do the work that he is calling them to. It's, it, it's kind of like if I were to maybe go over here or something like that and ask Jordan to maybe reach down under, no, 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 right here, brother. Can you reach right under your seat there? Oh, other side, other side. All right, there we go. He can't see it. There it is. You're ruining my illustration, man. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And it's like, oh man, I need to make a, a straight cut. And so, oh, look, already out there. Look, I got a speed square. It's already in the body and able to do the work for us. Now, I should have like given you assigned seats beforehand because I don't think people sat in the right places here. So let's say, I'm gonna go over here real subtly, Todd. Okay, there we go. And let's say, I missed it. There we go. Nobody behind the curtain, don't look, okay. Work better in 9.30. And let's say, man, I, I need a multi-tool. And all of a sudden, already in the church, I'm like, oh, look, Todd's already got the tool available for the job for us to do what God has called us to do. Let me try one more time. Lawrence, please be the man. Please be there. Is it there? Oh, have mercy. Who's got it? I don't care who it is. Jeremiah. Okay, I'm gonna get in trouble because this is Tyler's tool. All right, I'll find it. You get the idea, botched illustration. No, you know what? It's, never mind. Okay, I'll find it. The idea is this. 
There it is. Nick's got it. Look at that. Uh, look, look, look at it. There we go. Okay. Thank you, Nick. So, need to make a measurement. The tool is already there. Look, what God is calling us to do, the Spirit has already equipped us to do. Anything we need to do in our church, it's already in the body. We just need to believe that that's what is the result of being empowered by the Spirit. God builds beautiful things by pre-equipping his people to the mission that he has called us to. Now, that's God's part. We can't produce unity. We can't change people's hearts and produce conversions. We can't even make the mission go forward. That's all the work of the Spirit. So what is our part? What does it look like for us to live in dependence on the Spirit so that we see these things happening? Well, I think that's what's going on in Acts chapter 4 or 2, verse number 42. Look at this one verse with me. It says this. And they, what's that word? Everybody see it? They, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were not like mildly interested in these things. They were not like slightly curious about these activities. They were devoted, the Bible says. And they're devoted to really three categories of things here. The first thing is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What does that mean? These people were downright fanatical about the word. The Bible tells us that in Acts, they were gathering day by day in the temple's courts to hear the apostles preach the Bible to them. These were a group of people that were deeply devoted to the word. Listen to me. The primary way we hear God's spirit is through God's word. Okay, let me say it again. The primary way we hear God's spirit is through God's word. Sometimes, y'all, we're looking to hear the Spirit's voice. You know how the Spirit primarily speaks? Through the Bible. Um, what we do here this morning is profoundly spiritual. Do you, do you recognize that? Like, this is a profound spiritual moment. And sometimes we can think of this gathering as like just something that's kind of like optional or incidental to the Christian life. It's not. Because if we are to be filled and led by the Spirit, we must regularly be intaking the Word of God. And God, in His providence, has chosen to use this weird thing we call preaching. It's really weird, frankly. To help His people grow and change. Sometimes there's a tension. This tension between like, are you a Word-centered church? Or a spirit-filled church. And I'm like, I don't understand the quarrel, honestly. Because if the primary way that the spirit speaks is through the word, these things don't need to be reconciled. They're already friends. You cannot be spirit-filled apart from being word-centered. 
You cannot be word-centered apart from being spirit-filled. These things are reconciled to one another because this is what God wants for us. So here's my question, church. Are you devoted? Could your relationship with the word of God be described as devoted? The gathering of God's people to hear the word preached, to reading the Bible on your own, to studying the Bible on your own, to being in your community groups and getting the word open. Would people say about you that you are devoted to the word? Because if we long to see the spirit empowerment, then we need to be devoted to the word like the early church. Second thing we see here, they were devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. What does that mean? They were devoted to one another. They had the conviction in the early church that the Christian life was not an individual sport. It was not something that you could do on your own. You needed teammates. You needed a band of brothers and sisters who would go the distance with you to help you walk with Jesus. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. In fact, isolation throughout the scripture is a punishment from the Lord, not a blessing. We need one another. And if we are to experience, if you want spirit power in your life, you better be devoted to one another. They were in one another's lives and even in one another's homes, breaking bread and fellowshipping with one another. Third, you see, they were devoted to prayer. You know, over the last about year or so, we have made a concerted effort at Gospel Hope to build our culture of prayer. I know it's awkward sometimes. I know it's weird. I know we don't always know how to land the plane, but listen, unfortunately in the American church, we have sadly relegated prayer to when we move the set. We don't just pray to pray, we pray to get the band in place. I'm not saying that's wrong to have people up on stage or anything when you're praying, but what I am saying is folks, we need to be devoted to prayer. It needs to not just be something that's kind of secondary or tertiary to our life together, but prayer needs to be the lifeblood of what we do. We need to be devoted like the early church was to prayer so that we can see the empowerment of the Spirit that happened as a result of them being devoted to that. What's the Spirit's part? It's to bring about unity. It's to change people's lives. It's to make the mission go forward. What's our part? Be devoted to the word, be devoted to one another, be devoted to prayer. So I'm gonna close like this. I want us to be devoted to the word, to prayer, and to one another as we close our service. So guess what? We're gonna pray, we're gonna pray. I know that one by Ray was short because I was saving for this one, all right? So we're gonna pray together. I, I, I wanna pray like this. I wanna start our time by worshiping God for his word. Aren't you thankful for the word of God? You know, it's amazing when you stop and think of the Bible, one of the first thing God does when he creates Adam and Eve is he talks to them. Aren't you glad our God is a talking God? Like he speaks, he's not silent but he makes himself known to his people by speaking. And the word of God is so precious to us. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna all over the room, remember you gotta participate in this or I'm gonna look stupid and I don't wanna look stupid, so help me. All over the room, I wanna begin a time of prayer simply like this. God, I thank you for your word because. God, I thank you for your word 
because, so we're gonna stand up on our feet one after another. You're just gonna pray nice and loud. Remember, a lot of volume in here, it's a big room. God, I thank you for your word because I'll start us and then we're just gonna dive into a time of corporate prayer here together. Father, I thank you for your word because through it, we know you. God, thank you for being a speaking God who reveals himself to your people. We thank you for the precious word. Amen. Father, your word is living. It's active. It's sharp. It's a fire. 
It's a hammer. It is truth. It is life. It is light. Lord, your word is pure. It is lovely. It is beautiful. It is sweet. It is transformative. Lord, your word is good. Lord, it corrects. It encourages. It rebukes. It changes. Lord, it tells us the way to go. And it reveals you. Lord, we exalt you. We worship you. We honor you. We praise you for the word. For in it, for in it and through it, we know the work of your son and his saving work on behalf of sinners. Father, we worship you for speaking to us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Next two, it says that they were not only devoted to the apostles' teaching, but they were also devoted to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Well, what does that mean? They were devoted to one another. So here's what I want to do right now. I want you to find someone else, just one person or two people, if you can't just, if there's, I, I didn't count you this morning, all right? I just want you to go up to them and very simply say, how can I pray for you? And you pray for one another. Christian's life is not meant to go on our own, but we need to pray for and with one another. So will you find somebody and simply say, how can I pray for you? And take a moment and pray for your brother or sister together this morning. Ready, set, pray. Father, we thank you for the gift that brothers and sisters in Christ are. Lord, thank you that you've not called us to walk this path alone, but part of the Spirit's work is bringing us together. Lord, I pray that we would be devoted to your word, devoted to one another, and devoted to prayer. Lord, would you, in your grace, outpour your Spirit uniquely on Gospel Hope Church for the sake of our city, for the sake of our nations, for the kingdom and the king. We pray that you would exalt your name among us. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Hey, before we sing in worship to the Lord as we end here, man, maybe the Lord's speaking to you about something. Uh, maybe it's, man, there's some folks in your life that you really need to begin to intercede on behalf. Maybe you've never experienced the spirit empowerment and you long to experience that for yourself. There's gonna be some folks right now in the back that are part of our prayer team that would love to pray with you. And as we stand and sing, and if you want somebody to pray with you or pray for you or encourage you, uh, they'll be back there in the back and they would love to serve you in that capacity. So can we stand on our feet? You move if you need to, and let's sing of the praises of our Savior.